Take your Bibles out and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me, if you would please. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want to bring a message this morning entitled, A Resurrection Gospel. A Resurrection Gospel. As you find your place in your copy of God's Word, let me mention to you quickly, uh, this coming Friday... Uh, in this sanctuary, we will be having a memorial service for Miss Ronnie Knowles, her passing. I'll be meeting with the family on Tuesday to go over more details pertaining to that service. You can call the, the church office Wednesday afternoon or following and find out more details. But remember this family, if you would please. Uh, also, remember Robbie Jones, he is in Alaska doing some advance work for a mission trip that our student ministry will be taking. And uh, as I mentioned this morning at the uh, sunrise service, if you think it was cold out there, I think it was about 38 degrees. Where Robbie is today, it's about 8 degrees. And so just thinking about that makes you kind of toasty and warm. But anyway... Uh, remember him as he will be uh, traveling back as well. Take your Bibles out. Keep them open to the text that Kevin Knight read earlier, 1 Corinthians 15. We'll be coming back there a little bit later. But let's stand for the reading of God's Word in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. And I'll be reading uh, beginning in verse 8 and going down through verse 10. And this morning, I will be reading from the NIV. Uh, Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Father, we thank you for the resurrection gospel that we have the opportunity to read and preach day in and day out, week in and week out. Lord, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight today. May your Holy Spirit open our eyes and ears that we might see what you have for us and that we might hear your word, for your word is truth. Thank you for this day that we celebrate. That means that Jesus is alive and he is at your right hand and he's preparing a place for us. And we're never alone. God, you are with us, no trial, no hardship, no suffering that we could go through in life that we would do so alone because you live and you are with us and we're so thankful for that. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you, you may be seated. Folks, we all know how important it is to remember certain things. If you don't think it's important to remember certain things, then guys, just forget your wife's birthday or forget your anniversary. 
And you will learn very quickly how important it is to remember certain things. I think of a case where Connie and I were eating out one evening with, with a couple in our church. This has been several years back. And the wife seemed a little bit agitated. But in a joking kind of way, I guess, because the preacher and his wife were with them. Well, the husband finally asked her, honey, what's up? And she let him know in no uncertain terms that it was their anniversary and he had forgotten it. Well, he looked over at her and said, dear, tomorrow is our anniversary. I have not forgotten it. And she looked like a deer caught in the headlights. She was the one who had forgotten it and gotten the date wrong. Well, listen to how Dr. Kent Hughes writes about 2 Timothy 2, this section of it, and how it is so apparent from even the Old Testament that God wants us to remember certain events that he's done in our behalf. And he names several of them. For example, there's the Passover, how every year the Jews around this time of the year, they celebrate the Passover festival that dates all the way back to Exodus 12 where God promised them he was going to deliver them out of Egypt. There would be one last plague and the Egyptians would, would beg them to leave. And would even give them an abundance of things to get them out of their land. And God instructed Moses, said, tell the children of Israel that they are to take a lamb, the blood of the lamb, and sprinkle it on the doorpost. And the death angel will, will pass over and your sons, your oldest son, will be spared. But among all of the household of the Egyptians, they will lose their firstborn. And that's what happened. And so every year the Jews remember the Passover. And then we come to the book of Deuteronomy. And of course Moses is reviewing the law for the children of Israel, the younger generations, because the older generations died off in the wilderness. And he's admonishing them in the book of Deuteronomy to remember the law. And in fact in Deuteronomy chapter 6 in that famous passage, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And he told them how they were to write the law on their hearts and on their doorpost, and how they were to talk about uh, the matters of the law to their children when they would sit down and lie down and rise up and go about in life. They were never to forget the great things that God had done in their behalf. And then the last example Dr. Hughes gives is when the children of Israel were, were actually crossing over into the promised land. How the priests were instructed to, to gather up stones, a stone for each of the twelve tribes. And as they passed over into the promised land, they would build a memorial so that their children in years to come, when the children would say, why are these stones here? Why is this monument here? then they would be able to review for their children again the great and mighty acts that God had done in their behalf. 
And so very clearly there are certain things that God wants his people to remember and never forget. And as we remember what God has done for us, the intent behind that is that our faith will be renewed and strengthened. Now folks, no one can read the New Testament without observing that the passion and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ are the most important things that we need to remember. The Apostle Paul, perhaps more than others, majors on this theme of the resurrection in his letters. And a perfect example of that is the passage that we have in front of us today. Now I want you to remember as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, he's very much aware of the fact that he is about to give his life over for the sake of the gospel. And Timothy is going to be the one who will have to pick up the baton and carry on in Paul's absence. And he's wanting to make sure that Timothy, his son in the faith, doesn't falter or fail under the pressures of persecution. And so Paul wants Timothy to understand very clearly the core issues of our faith. You know, there are things that are non-essential, but there are things that are essential. And when it comes to the essentials, there is nothing more essential than to remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so he says here, remember Jesus Christ of the seed of David who was raised from the dead. In other words, Timothy is always to remember and his listeners were always to remember that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus dealt with our sin at the cross. He defeated death. And in his resurrection, he opened for us the way into heaven and eternal life through the resurrection. And that fact alone ought to give you and me a great deal of encouragement and hope every day. Well, the first thing I want you to notice with me this morning. We see here the Christian mandate that we are to continually affirm. I'll read it again. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. This is what we are to remember. Why is it so important? Well, turn back to 1 Corinthians 15 with me, if you would please. And beginning there in verse 1, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, that He appeared to Cephas, that is Simon Peter, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Now folks, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would simply take a place alongside all the other human philosophies and religions. We need to remember, Paul lived in a day when the gospel... The gospel of the resurrection of Christ was being viciously attacked. And so Paul says to the Corinthians here, Okay, I'm going to tell you one more time 
what the core elements of our faith are, the core elements that will change your life and my life. And that's what he proceeds with here. And notice what he outlines. First of all, that Christ died for our sin. He mentions that in 1 Corinthians 15, 3. Christ died for our sin. That's essential to the gospel. Folks, we are sinners. We need a Savior. We cannot redeem ourselves. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing I can do regardless of of how clean and moral and good of a life that you might think you live, there is nothing you and I can do on our own in order to save ourselves. And God has proclaimed this message to us. In Romans 1.16, we're told the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles. Paul goes on in Romans 1 to say the response that men as a whole tend to have, they tap down this truth. They suppress this truth of the gospel. And Paul says in Romans 1 and following that the result of that is that we are all in our unredeemed state under the just wrath of a holy God. As theologian J.I. Packer wrote, one of the most striking things about the Bible is the vigor with which both testaments emphasize the reality and the terror of God's wrath. And the New Testament is very clear as to the fact that we all have shared together in this fate. The pagan man is under the wrath of God. The religious man who's trying to justify himself in the sight of God is under this wrath from God. And so that means you and I were in deep, deep trouble. And the Bible wants us to understand that. It wants us to understand the bad news before we're told about the good news. The bad news is we're all guilty. And the wages of sin, the paycheck for a life of sin, is death. Not only physical death, but spiritual death. But that's where the good news of the gospel steps in. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3. You may want to turn to Romans 3 beginning in verse 21. Paul says there, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance 
He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? You hear what he's saying? If it's not an issue of our good works, because again, we're all guilty. We can't earn it. It's only through Christ. And so what's this mean for our boasting? It's excluded, he says. By what kind of law? By law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Folks, Christ died to take away our sin. And there's that big word in verse 25, propitiation. To propitiate means to appease someone, to do something that takes their wrath away. Now normally to propitiate would mean that you offered to the offended party whatever is necessary to make things right. But again because we're all sinners by nature and by choice there's nothing you and I have that we can offer to propitiate or turn away God's wrath. And so God himself, the one sinned against, the one offended, the one who is perfect and holy and righteous. This God is the one who offers what is necessary to satisfy his own justice and appease his wrath. And that's what he did. He gave his son. Now folks, that's grace. And Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners. Not when we try to get good enough, because again, we can't. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died taking your sin and my sin, taking our punishment and satisfying the justice of a holy God. That's the significance of Paul saying Christ died according to the scriptures. But he goes on in verse 4 to add another key element, that Christ was buried. What's the significance of that? That he really died. He didn't fake it. The Romans were experts in their day at executions. And before they removed Christ from the cross, they made certain that he was dead. When they pierced him in the side, blood and water ran out. The different parts of the blood had already begun to separate, showing death. And then a third element, he says here in verse 4, Christ was raised on the third day. Hallelujah. He's opened the way into the very presence of God. And so all of those who are in Christ not only have their sin atoned for, but Christ has opened the way for you into the very presence of God. He has defeated sin and death and the grave, and he's given to you eternal life. That's why the gospel is called good news. And that's the gospel right there in a nutshell. Again, there's other parts of the gospel that are non-essential. I mean, we could talk about a lot of issues. 
But what Paul has just mentioned, these are things that we must agree upon. And so if you run into somebody who says they are a Christian and yet they do not believe in the substitutionary death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, then there's one thing you can be very certain of. Even though they say they are a Christian, by the biblical definition, they certainly are not. Now, after presenting the gospel, if you'll stay open here in 1 Corinthians 15 a moment, after presenting the gospel, Paul moves on beginning in verse 5 and following to defend the gospel. And he's going to do all this all the way down through verse 33. Beginning in verse 5, he talks about the appearances that Jesus made between his resurrection and ascension back to the Father. And so here were all of these witnesses that in essence Paul is saying to them, they're still alive. If you want to hear the record with your own ears of these witnesses who saw the risen Christ... You can go to their home, you can go to their place of business or their farm or wherever and you can talk to them, they're still around. And then in verses 12 to 19, he appeals to the logic of all this. Some of them were saying there's no resurrection of the dead. They were saying when you die, you die. Paul said, well, if that's the position that you take, and there's no, then there's no such thing as the resurrection of the dead, then you would have to come to the conclusion that not even Christ has been raised from the dead. And the consequences of that would be very far-reaching. He goes on to say, if Christ has not been raised, then the gospel, the good news that God has given us of Christ dying in our stead, being buried, being raised to life again, that we might be forgiven and have eternal life, the gospel means absolutely nothing. And the preaching of the gospel, he goes on to say here, would likewise mean absolutely nothing because preaching proclaims the good news of Jesus who conquered sin and the grave. But if the grave is not conquered, then there's no good news to proclaim. If there's no good news to proclaim, there's absolutely no hope that I or any other preacher could stand up here and give to you. Preaching would simply be meaningless words without any type of good news to actually be delivered. Paul says our preaching would be empty. And when that word empty here was used of vessels like clay pots, for instance, of the day, it meant that there was nothing in the vessel. I mean, you could turn it upside down, shake it, and nothing came out. It was absolutely empty. And he says, that's how our preaching would be. There would be no substance in it. There would be no meaning. The best that I could stand up here and do would just give you some good moral, would be to give you some good moral lessons. But I mean, if there's no Savior and there's no life after death, do you really even need that in the long run anyway? So Paul says it would be empty. I think of the little six-year-old boy who, who complained to his mother that he had a stomach ache and he had not eaten all day. And, and she said, well, Johnny, that's because your stomach's empty. You need to put something in it. Well, later that day, the preacher came around to see him and little Johnny was talking to the preacher. And the preacher said, I've got a terrible 
headache. <laughs> and he said, well, preacher, I'll tell you what my mama told me. You know why you got a headache? It must be empty. You need to put something in your head. <laughs> That's how our preaching would be if it were not for the resurrection. It would be gutted of all of its meaning, of all of its substance. Paul goes on to say, your faith would also mean nothing. It would be empty, fruitless, void of effect, to no purpose. The same word here as before. Then he goes on to say, we would be false witnesses. We would be deceivers. It's not just that we got some of the facts mixed up. It's worse than that. We would deliberately be deceivers and liars. Because we would be saying Christ has been raised from the dead if he's not been raised from the dead. Conclusion of that is the dead, all of the dead, would be doomed. And finally, it would mean that the saints are to be pitied. We would be nothing more than a sad bunch of cases running around the earth, building churches, going on mission trips, believing in a phony afterlife if there were no such thing as the resurrection of the dead. Ernest Hemingway expressed this hopelessness. He said, it's as though we are a colony of ants living on one end of a burning log. Now, he was a skeptic, and that's pretty much what he thought of his life. And so Paul's saying, if there's no resurrection, this is what all it would mean. We would all be pretty pathetic. We would be fodder for the late night comedians. And so Paul is essentially saying to Timothy back in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Timothy, don't ever forget about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead because this is our hope. This is foundational. This is essential to the gospel message that we preach. Folks, the same admonition is extended to you and me today. To remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. You know folks, the primary message of the scripture is, is not just some message of self-esteem. The Bible's not just a self-help study guide. The Bible is first and foremost a narrative, God's narrative of the story of the redemption that you and I have in Jesus Christ. God loves us. And he doesn't want you dying in your sin and perishing in a place the Bible calls hell. He sent his son that we can be delivered from that. From Genesis 3 all the way to Revelation 22, we see this marvelous message. It's a glorious missionary message of redemption, of the good news of redemption. And the central figure to the whole storyline is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And so Paul is saying, Timothy... Don't forget that. And don't let the church you pastor forget that either. 
Folks, you can almost feel Paul's emotion here. You can almost feel the weight of, of his words here as he's saying all of this uh, to Timothy. And what significance is all this for the church today? Well, we need to carefully guard the message of what the gospel is. When we go on mission trips, or we go and minister to people in hospitals or nursing homes or in their house, we need to remember what the main message is that you and I share. We go with the good news of the gospel of Christ, risen from the dead, who is able to give us a hope that is steadfast and true, and a hope that is eternal. That's the message we go with. Yes, we go with kind deeds and benevolent acts. We help people. Of course we do do all of that. But it all must ultimately point to the good news we have in Christ who died for our sins, was buried, and raised again to give us eternal life. Secondly, I want you to see a common danger in all generations because it can be uncomfortable to talk about sin and talk about the consequences of sin. I mean, after all, who enjoys talking about these things? And because it can be uncomfortable, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves sidestepping it and avoiding it and maybe trying to appeal to itching ears. Because again, the Bible does address a whole lot of subjects. The Bible talks about marriage, how to have a marriage that's honoring to God. It talks about raising godly kids and healthy relationships. It talks about responsible finances. It gives wise counsel in all of these areas. But again, the Bible is never given to us simply to be a self-help manual over whatever itch we have at any given time. The Bible is God's word given to us to show us this grand narrative of the redemption we have in Jesus Christ. That's the main message. Never forget that. Never forget that. Folks, we have so cheapened today in many ways, in many circles, the word of God. That in some circles, some of these feel-good doctors you listen to, you would be led to believe that the only reason God exists is to make you happier, healthier, and wealthier in life. And just add a little bit of God into the mix of whatever you want out of your life and then call this Christianity. And that's not the message of Scripture. Folks, on days like this, Easter, this is the time for you and I to remember what's central and to avoid these common dangers that we see around us. And that's what Paul's wanting Timothy to remember. You read all of 2 Timothy and and what Paul is going to remind Timothy of 
In chapter 3, he's going to say, Timothy, this world is going to go from bad to worse. In fact, you read those first five verses of 2 Timothy 3, and when you read the laundry list of things Paul says is going to happen in society, you won't believe some of the things that Paul says are going to happen. In fact, there are some of the very things that are happening in society today. And Paul's saying to Timothy, the world's going to go like this from bad to worse, and evil men, before Christ returns evil men are going to do worse and worse and the world's going to become a nastier place an uglier place a more dangerous place and then he goes into chapter 4 of saying Timothy this is why you're to preach the word be instant in season and out of season when it's convenient to preach this message when it's not convenient and don't fall into that trap of just entertaining itching ears Again, keep the main thing, the main thing. Amen? In that context, he says, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead. Now, a third thing I want you to see this morning. A celebrated conviction for the church. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead is to be a celebrated conviction conviction because the resurrection of Jesus Christ validates all of the work of Christ think of everything it validates it validated his word Christ told his disciples I must go to Jerusalem be crucified and raised on the third day. He even gave the analogy of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of a fish for three days, so the Son of Man must be in the belly of the earth for three days and then be raised to life again. And so if he was not raised from the dead, Jesus Christ was a liar, not the Lord. So the resurrection validated his words. It also validated his sinless life because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. If Christ was not raised, then evidently it's because he would have been a sinner. If Christ was a sinner, then Calvary itself would have meant nothing. It would have only been the case of one sinner dying for other sinners and there would be absolutely nothing saving about that. But the Bible proclaims Christ's sinless life and he went to the cross and he bore your sin and the resurrection validates all of this because death cannot hold a sinless man. Folks, it is no wonder that the doctrine of the resurrection is perhaps the single most attacked doctrine in Christianity today think about it if you were a skeptic wouldn't you go after this doctrine because around this doctrine hinges the validity of all of Christianity you know let me let me ask you take a pen out and share I want I want to share some things you can write down I've shared some of these before with you in the past but I think they bear remembering some of the evidences that we have for the resurrection first of all there is the fact of the Lord's day the Lord's day 
The Hebrews tenaciously held for thousands of years to the Sabbath because this is what God had commanded. And then suddenly, after the resurrection of Christ, you have a group of Jews who are now followers of Christ and they're changing the day of worship to Sunday. Away from the Sabbath, now they're worshiping on the Lord's Day, Sunday. What could account for a group of Jews doing this? The resurrection. Then there's Easter, a second thing. Again, Easter has largely replaced the Jewish holiday of Passover, certainly not to Orthodox Jews, but it's replaced the Jewish holiday of Passover for millions, the first Christians having been, uh, first of all, Jews. But here they are celebrating what we celebrate at Easter, the resurrection. Because you see the celebration of Easter, of Christ's resurrection, can be traced all the way back to the early church. And so for the first group of Jewish Christians to do that, to make that change, there had to be a reason for this. Thirdly, there's Christian art. In the catacombs of Rome, underneath Rome, where the persecuted Christians uh, hid out. We find carvings in the walls there, depictions of Christ's resurrection. Then there's early Christian hymns, hymns sung in the early church concerning the resurrection. Fifth, there's the church. How in the world did the largest institution known to man come into being? It's many times larger than the entire Roman Empire ever was. How did it come into being? What accounts for the church? Something must have happened. Then there's the witnesses that 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. 500 at one time who saw the risen Christ. Next, you have the apostles themselves. Before their knowledge of the resurrection, they were so timid. They were hiding after the crucifixion. There's Peter. When Christ has been arrested, here's a little maid girl at the arrest of Jesus saying, You must be one of them, and he's denying his Lord. And yet after the resurrection, and Jesus appeared to the early apostles, they become the the flaming, bold witnesses of the book of Acts. They're out in the streets and they're preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to the authorities who are even arresting them and putting them in jail and telling them to be quiet. And yet they're saying, we're not going to be quiet. We must obey God rather than men. What could account for that transformation in their lives? Then there's the transformation of the Apostle Paul who had been one of the leading rabbis. He hated everything about Jesus. He hated all talk about the resurrection. In fact, when he was converted, he was on the road to Damascus to arrest Christians there to haul them back to Jerusalem and put them in prison or have them put to death. And now all of a sudden, Rabbi Saul is the Apostle Paul. And he's the greatest defender that we have. 
of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What could have changed him? Obviously, the truth of the resurrection. So you see, folks, we have all of these evidences that tell us one singular message. I haven't even mentioned Scripture and, and all of the fulfilled prophecy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ was even born. How God told us that these things were going to happen. And they happened just as God said. One conclusion to it all. He's alive. He's alive. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Won't you open the door and let me come in? And I'll have fellowship with you. That's his promise. Folks, is it any wonder that the disciples, the early disciples, preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so Paul is saying to Timothy here in verse 8, Timothy, you, you need to make sure that you do the same thing. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a celebrated conviction for the church. It's a celebrated conviction. Now, I want you to understand something. A, a dead man couldn't do anything to help you. He couldn't. But Christ is alive. He's the wonderful counselor. The everlasting Father, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace. He's able to come alongside of you in your life when you're going through the deepest valleys in your life. And he's able to give you a strength beyond anything you possess on your own because he's alive. We sang the hymn earlier, because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen? Something else I don't have time to develop this morning. But I want you to notice in the text also how he says, Descended from David. Why is that important? Because while he's fully God, what else is he? He's fully man. And as the writer of Hebrews says, because he's fully man, lived a life just like yours and mine, yet without sin, but because he's walked in your shoes and had your experiences without sin, whenever you're going through trials and troubles in your life, and you appeal to him, you pray to him, he knows exactly how to intercede before the Father for you because he's walked in your shoes. You see, God's not aloof. He's not out of touch with us. He's not removed from the experiences you and I have. He's been through it and yet without sin. And so he's able to help us see our way through. No wonder Paul said to the Galatians, this is the only gospel. And if anybody comes to you preaching anything else, let him be accursed. Because there is no other gospel. Folks, why is this so important? Because only a living Lord is able to transform your life. 
He's able to save you and be that bridge between earth and heaven, between God and man. Religion alone can't do that. Religion alone, if we just try to live by religious principles or the law alone. And, and if people try to be transformed from the outside in, that never works. It might work for a short amount of time, but ultimately it never works. You can't change lives from the outside in, but the gospel of a risen Lord changes hearts from the inside out and brings about transformation that lasts. I mean, think about the transformation of the Apostle Paul himself that I mentioned a moment ago. A guy that would go from being an enemy of the gospel to the greatest preacher of the gospel and the greatest missionary and church planner Christianity has ever known. That's what a living Lord can do in a man's life. And you know, that tells me whatever need you have in your life, whatever need I have in my life, he is more than able. Amen? He's more than able. Come to him. This morning, there's not a doubt in my mind that somebody in here needs him to transform your life. And what a great time at Easter when we celebrate that he's alive and he can bring about that transformation. But you come to him. And you find out from firsthand experience what millions and millions and millions of others before you have found out. He can change you. He will change you. Some of you here this morning going through deep trials in your life and you need help. You need a wisdom greater than anything you have on your own and a strength more than anything you have on your own. You need help. Call out to him this morning to help you. And you know also I want us to evaluate what our speech is as believers. As we go about interacting with people. If people could record our conversation for a year and play it back. Would anybody from my lips or your lips ever hear about this resurrection gospel the, the essentials of the gospel of a Christ who died, was buried, but raised again. Would they ever hear that good news from you or me? If not, make it your prayer this morning. God, open my eyes and ears to those around me that I interact with. And Lord, help me to proclaim this good news to them. That they might know you. Because by your grace, you've allowed me to know you. God, help me to be a faithful witness that they can come to know you too. Does that need to be your prayer today? Father, we thank you for this resurrection gospel. How glorious it is of Christ raised from the dead. He's at your right hand. He's preparing a place for us. And Lord, until then... He is with us. He's not aloof and removed. He walks through life with us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. 
Lord, thank you for the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ. It is indeed reason to celebrate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand please? Thank you.